Swung on high. This is tagged. Uh, right hammered to the gap. At the track. High and deep and to the right. That ball just got so out of here. Was hit a this is going to go to the rock This ball's getting small. This is charged. Right back at the track. Seems like the ball's had a lot of life the last couple of nights. They can go back to back. Here's Adam Engel. Swinging along with the left. We're going to have a tie ball game. He did go back to back. High and deep. This has crushed the left center field. This is going to go for a home run. Way out of here. This is is White Sox Weekly. We're moving to that next pitch. It's time now to start having that progress towards a championship caliber team, ultimately. From our standpoint, there's a lot to be excited about. Oh, this ball is absolutely blistered. High, far, I don't know if it's landed yet. Luis Robert, a two-run homer. Barrel, homer. Holy cow. You know, the ball jumped off. He's got leverage. He's got bat speed. He's got to put that all together. And he could be a monster. I think we're ready to take that next step and head deeper down the path to ultimately winning championships. The Chicago baseball conversation. Deep in the right field. On the flagship home of the Sox. It is gone. 720 WGN. White Sox Weekly on the air. Welcome in. Mark Carmen with you until 5 o'clock on White Sox Weekly. And then we get a bonus half hour of sports conversation leading you up to Blackhawk hockey. Uh, big news this week with the White Sox making a move. Frank Menachino is the new hitting coach. He met the media, as did the general manager, Rick Hahn, and the manager, Rick Renteria. Uh, we have sound from all three coming up here. Vinny Duber, NBC Sports Chicago, will be with us at 435. I do want to welcome in Steve Bertrand, who normally does not work at this particular hour but is working during during White Sox Weekly. Steve, it's 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 a pleasure and an honor and and I and I feel uh smitten on this Saturday well, Mark, afternoon. I love your show so much and I'm glued to it every weekend. <laughs> right. I, I just wanted to see it in action. Right. I am just so happy to be here and be contribute any way I can. Did you know that Frank Menachino five no. years no you didn't right no. but, well I'm just going to tell you he said he has five years of major league experience that came with the Florida Marlins three was in as, a, as an assistant hitting coach and two he was the lead dog rocking the Marlins now who was on that Marlins team Bertrand you're a baseball guy you've heard of Christian Yelich haven't you I have heard of Christian Yelich you've, yeah. heard, you've heard of Giancarlo Stanton haven't you yes I have ye of the 59 homers under the tutelage of Frank Manichino in 2017 how would 59 homers look for an Aloy Jimenez which by the way in my mind is not completely out of the realm of possibility for a guy who steps up as a rookie and is one of three White Sox players in the history of, of the franchise to have 30-plus homers in his rookie season in a season that he you know missed a good portion as well. So uh, I, just for the record, I just want to tell I want to get this out there. I was a huge Todd Steverson fan. Todd Steverson was one of the most easygoing, friendly, available people that you could ever run into in a major league clubhouse and or dugout before a game and or one o'clock on a Saturday before a six o'clock game. He's just hanging out. And he was always happy to talk to me and a zillion other uh, media types. And he had a very long run here and hitting coaches do not, you know, they don't last forever. That's just the way it is. New voices are needed. And we'll hear some sound coming up here from the White Sox explaining that, uh, you know, Rick Renteria, clearly a big Todd Steverson fan, uh, as was Rick Hahn. Uh, but, Sometimes in baseball you do make change for change's sake, 
and also just to try to uplift these guys to the next level. So uh, Frank Manichino spent this past year with the Charlotte Knights. Now, that is the White Sox AAA club. You probably know that, but just in case you don't, that's that's where he was spending his time. And Charlotte had a lot... Well, first of all, Charlotte had a phenomenal year offensively. Let's talk about what Charlotte did. Charlotte led AAA in run score with 792 runs. That's a good stat. They were second in on-base percentage, which the White Sox uh, want to improve upon at 352. They were second in slugging. They were second in on-base plus slugging. That's those things tend to come together. They were third in home runs, 208 homers on the year. So it's numbers, and it's also that he's got some strong connection with the players. Uh, Ryan Goins, who journeyman, right? Been around the league all over the place. Ryan Goins, quote, he was always there if anything kind of strayed. Honestly, he was just good with getting through to guys, not trying to make every guy do the same thing. Debate's a good thing with him, even with guys who would come in from different teams or get called up or down or whatever. He was just good in general. I I thought that was a hell of a quote from Ryan Goins. Very complimentary. So let's bring in Frank Manichino here. Not uh, We're going to have him on the show in, in the upcoming weeks here. But I have audio from his press conference that I wanted to play for you today. So this is Frank Manichino on building rapport and how long it takes to sort of figure out what kind of hitter he's dealing with and what what their potential truly is. A lot of this stuff, and I'm a firm believer in this, that it takes three years in the big leagues. It takes roughly 1,500 at-bats to figure out who you are as a big league hitter. So you have guys like, you know, Moncada, Timmy. Timmy's in the big leagues. I think this is his third third full year in the big leagues. You know, Moncada's second full year. So once you once these guys have the experience and the ups and downs and you know all the different stuff, little little adjustments here, little adjustments there. Once you figure out who they are and what they want to do and what, that's when you'll figure out what they'll become. And once they have the belief in who they are and what they can become, now it's my job to be their eyes and keep them where they want to be. And when I see things going bad, I got to have the relationship where I can approach them and say, hey, you're not doing this right. Hey, you're falling back to this. So it's getting to know them, getting to see where they're, where they're at, where they think they're at, what they want to improve on. And I'm a guideline for them to say, hey, I don't think that's going to work, but go ahead and do it. Try it. But I don't think this is going to work. I, this is going to work. I, you know, it's, it's building that relationship to where they can come in and almost to the point where we can go in the cage and actually argue a little bit. Hey, man, I, I want to do this, 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 and this. Yeah, but you're not doing this. You're doing that. You know, where you could have the relationship with the guy where you could get him to go in there and get the best out of him. So that's kind of my plan with guys that have successful years. I ask questions. Hey, where do you want to be? What do you want? Where do you see yourself? Who do you see yourself as? And this way, you come together and you work together. So that was a fairly long cut, but I'm sitting there listening to it. I'm like, I like everything he's saying here. Let, let's let's let Frick Manichino sort of break this down. I particularly like the part, you want to do that? Okay, go ahead and try it. I don't think it's going to work, but you can prove me wrong. So that's somebody who's not married to doing it one way, right? And hitters come in all shapes and sizes and stances and all of it. 
So you got to be flexible with guys. Now, Frank Manichino has a little bit of a reputation of being kind of a hardcore stickler, army type. At least I had heard that from a couple of people. And he was asked about how do you deal with these millennials, all these young guys? How, how, do, you, how, do, you, how do you reach them? You know what? I never even thought about that before. I never even thought about talking differently to, to players. To be honest with you, I never talked about it. I mean, baseball is baseball. You deal with different baseball IQs every day, and you go about the business of trying to connect with that person and let them understand what you're trying to say. And basically, you got to be able to say the same thing five different ways. They get it when they get it. And as a coach, it's your job to figure out if they're receiving the message or not. But no, I never thought about talking differently to, to the players, no. So now that could sound like, what do you mean you, you never thought about talking differently to these guys? These, these, these young guys are different than the young guys were 15, 20, 10, 30 years ago. But I actually think that millennials get a bad rap. And that people say, oh, millennials don't want to work. It is more competitive now than it ever has been. It's harder to get into school. It's harder to get into sports. Every kid is in 17 different leagues being coached up by 17 different coaches, right? They're, you got Kids are being specialized at uh, 7 years old, 4 years old, whatever. These guys are going to speak the Frank Manichino language. They want to be successful. If you make it all the way to the big leagues, you... Are incredibly motivated. You work incredibly hard. You don't. They don't. He does. They don't need to be reached with kid gloves. And and what he also talked about is like, look, I got flexibility. You want to try it that way? Go ahead. If it doesn't work, we're going to come back and we'll we'll have an argument. Frank Manichino has had a very interesting career. He 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 was a forty fifth round draft pick. Forty fifth round, nineteen ninety three. He was drafted after the White Sox selected. Casey Schuler. Casey is a woman. Casey was Ron Schuler's daughter, the general manager at the time. Manikina was picked in the 45th round. Now, Casey never played in the big leagues, but I mean, so but this guy worked his way through the minors, got up to the big leagues, got set down, came back up. Here he kind of details how he can really relate to any single player because he's been through a lot. There isn't anything in baseball I haven't been through. Okay, I was a 45th round. Draft choice, drafted after a girl by the White Sox, Shula's daughter. <laughs> um, I played in the minor leagues for seven years before I made it. I made it up. I came back down. I went back up. Played in the playoffs. I've been through everything there is to play. I mean, everything there is to do. Um, so, yes, it's definitely helped me. It's definitely helped me because I can relate to almost everybody's situation. Okay, so when it comes to relating to players and dealing with the stuff that they deal with on a, on, a, on an everyday basis, slumps, personal stuff, girlfriend stuff, you know, everything that's going on, and you got to know when to put put your foot down. You got to know when to pat them on the butt. You got to know when to pick them up. You got to know when to make enlighten the you know the situation. So yes, my experience in pro ball has definitely helped me be the coach that I am today and when I started as a hitting coach I wanted to make sure that I was available and I was there for him I wanted to be everything 
that I could be or wanted when I was a hitting coach or didn't get when I was a hitting coach. I wanted to make sure that I could give these guys everything they need to succeed. Because it's a hard game, and hitting in the big leagues is hard. Does that sound like he cares? I'm hearing a lot of caring right there. I wanted everything that I did not get. I saw the gaps of the people that were coaching me. I'm sure they were giving their best effort, but perhaps they did not know any better. And I want to take what I learned playing in baseball and give it back to these guys because I care. I like it. Uh, one one last quote from or one last soundbite from Frank Menachino. The White Sox want to get on base more. So how do how do you get more base on balls? Not easy to do. We don't go in the cage and say, "Okay, guys, here's how we're going to walk today." You know, you know, walking is a byproduct of having a rock solid approach and not giving into the pitcher and covering one covering one side of the plate at a time and not missing your pitch. Okay, so when a guy feels like he can't throw the ball down the middle or middle away or middle in, he has to be careful and work the edges. Now, we have a guy that's susceptible to mistakes, and we have a guy that's going to pick, 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 get his pitch count up, and here we are waiting for our pitch. Having a two-strike approach is very important and conducive to that, so that's, that's the type of stuff that we're going to be looking for. White Sox on base percentage this year, 23rd in all of baseball, 7 from the bottom. They were at a, a 314 clip. The best is the best was, in the regular season at least, the Houston Astros, who are going to be duking it out with the New York Yankees to go to the World Series at 352. Washington Nationals were second at 342. So obviously getting on base matters. That's not right. That's not news to anyone. Uh, the White Sox are going to try to be better at that in 2020. And by the way, if you are wondering what's going on in the old baseball world right now, um, the Nationals are leading the Cardinals one nothing. They are in the bottom of the fourth. Yankees and Strohs coming up. 7.08 first pitch there. Masahiro Tanaka and Zach Greinke. Pick 10 plans on sale now. Get ready for the 2020 season with this flexible and affordable ticket plan. Pick your games, your opponents, your schedule. Lower level plans starting at $205. That's all. That's $20 a ticket, team. Visit WhiteSox.com to pick your plan today, sitting in the lower deck for 20 bucks. You don't see that around baseball. Great value at Guaranteed Rate Field. And Sox Fest does return January 24th and the 25th in a new location. That's McCormick Place. The two-day fan fest will span more than 100,000 square feet, offering more ways to connect with your favorite Sox stars. Sox Fest 2020, presented by Beggar's Pizza, guaranteed rate, Old Dominion Freightline, Securian Financial, and Wintrust. Single and two-day passes on sale now. Get yours at whitesox.com slash SoxFest. We're going to hear from the general manager, Rick Hahn, coming on back here, and then Vinny Duber from NBC Sports Chicago a little bit after 4.30. It's 7.20 WGN. We do. Look, there's, there's especially when you're, when you're focused on, on batting averages, uh, it's kind of tough to, to say that uh, consistency is going to be there year to year. But in terms of the underlying improvements, whether it was approach-based or some of the mechanical adjustments, uh, we are very optimistic that the transition will be smooth in, in those regards and that, if anything, uh, we'll see improvements in, in underlying performance areas beyond just batting average going forward. That's White Sox general manager Rick Hahn who despite some phenomenal performances, 
He believes the White Sox can be better offensively, and they're certainly pointing to the on-base portion of it. But look, Tim Anderson had a phenomenal year this year, right? He won the batting title. Jose Abreu led the American League in RBIs. Yoan Moncada had a breakout second season. James McCann was a journeyman borderline catcher who was hitting in the low twos who made the all-star team. A lot of guys had great years. Aloy had a phenomenal rookie season. But I think some of the reason that the White Sox are looking ahead to or made a change with the hitting coach and bringing in Frank Manichino is they were perhaps concerned that some of that was not necessarily sustainable going forward without a new voice and also you know, trying to uplift guys like Zach Collins, who Manichino had a, I think, a, a good connection with at, at AAA. I'll be interested when we have him on the show to talk about that specific relationship. But so here was Rick Hahn uh, earlier in the week, and yes, that Charlotte team was phenomenal. Is that one of the main reasons why Frank Manichino got the gig? It goes deeper than, than strictly, you know, how many home runs they hit in, in Charlotte or, or the... Um, base percentage there, run score, those those are all relevant because you know some of the message is getting through. It's more about his interactions with the players, what you're hearing from Frank, how he's communicating that to the players, what drills he's using to get through to them, and then seeing the results come out on the field. Much less hearing from the players and their feedback about uh, their interactions with them and then their positive feel for uh, what he's teaching them and, and their ability to execute so, uh, the plan. So the players, excuse me, are stand are are speaking up on behalf of hey, like when they go and ask him, hey, what do you think of Frank Manichino? They're saying some nice things about Frank Manichino. They're also saying some nice things throughout the organization in the front office as well. This was Rakan on that. His familiarity with our players is is important. Obviously, he has those relationships already in place. But I think it's it's it was probably more important the other direction, meaning that. Uh, our comfort level with Frankie uh, grew substantially over the course of the season. He, he impressed uh, all of us, from Chris Getz, who was his immediate supervisor, to, to Kenny, to myself, to, to Ricky and others who dealt with him, uh, even as early as in spring training in, in the time he spent with us, much less over the course of the season at Charlotte. So it was really more about us being excited about what he can bring and, and getting to know him over the course of this year, uh, that played a, a, a large role in this as opposed to necessarily uh, his familiarity with our players. So that's interesting. Chris Getz going to bat for him as well. Not necessarily, by the way, going to bat at the expense of, of Todd Steverson, but he impressed Chris Getz, who's walking, you know, who's director of player development, going up and down the system. So he's talking to a lot of guys. And the front office is uh, was super impressed by him. And I, you look at the resume, Christian Yelich and Carlos Dan, uh, and you listen to him talk. I, and I was Todd Steverson fan, and I hope he gets another job as a hitting coach, and I think he will. Uh, but it, I, I can see it starting to come. It, as I'm listening to all this, it just sort of crystallized as to why the White Sox felt like 
it was time to make a move and try to upgrade the offense even further. Hey, 2020 ticket packages are on sale now. You can secure your seat with a 20-game plan. Find the plan that meets your schedule and budget with lower-level plans starting as low as $403. For more information, visit WhiteSox.com or call 312-674-1000. Vinny Duber, NBC Sports Chicago, is coming up. We'll hear from Ricky Renteria before we get out of here as well. It's White Sox Weekly on 720 WGN. At the wall, the 380, gone! A three-run homer for Tim Anderson. 3-1 White Sox. Back to White Sox Weekly on 720 WGN. Sox Weekly to the top of the hour, then I'll take stay with you until 5.30. Blackhawks at Winnipeg coming up here on 720 WGN, a pregame at 5.30. Vinny Duber, NBC Sports Chicago. Nobody knows the White Sox like Vinny Duber, although James Fegan and of The Athletic and uh, Scott Merkin of MLB.com, Paul Sullivan of the Tribune, uh, Steve Stone perhaps would argue with that. But Vinny, I'm going with you right now because you're on the show, pal. What do you think? I would agree that nobody knows them like me. You know what I mean? It's a very unique way of phrasing it. Uh, you know, you didn't put a qualifier like more or less on it, so I think you're all right. Yeah, that's good use of the language there. Good listening <laughs> by you, Vinny. Thank you. So, all right, why did the White Sox move along from Todd Steverson to Frank Manichino in your mind now that you've heard Rick Hahn and Rick Renteria and Frank Manichino himself? Yeah, I think uh, mostly it just has to do with the fact that they really, really liked Frank Manichino, to be honest with you. I mean, uh, I, I think that you could definitely see why change might have been necessary if you look at the, the numbers that the team has put up offensively, uh, not just this season, but in recent seasons. Uh, obviously, you know, it's very strange to see you, they make a change at hitting coach, perhaps when you have guys like Tim Anderson and, and Yohan Moncada, Aloy Jimenez, do all the things that they did in 2019. But I think that uh, they went out and hired Frank Menachino last winter to be their AAA hitting coach, and they loved what they saw from him down at Charlotte this year. So he was in the White Sox clubhouse observing things in September. Did you get a sense that a change was coming? And I, I'm, I'm wondering, that had to be awkward for Todd Steverson. He, he had to have an inkling that perhaps change was on the way. Uh, I mean, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know if I'd go quite that far. I mean, I think those guys um, come up from, from AAA to kind of keep working, especially when you got a young team like the White Sox guys who were in that clubhouse, like Zach Collins, for example, who, who uh, had Frank Manichino as his hitting coach uh, when he was at Charlotte during the season. So um, I don't know if I'd quite go as far to say that that was like some sort of harbinger of things to come, but uh, I definitely think that they did love the work that he did at AAA. And, uh, you know, what you're going to have Luis Robert and Nick Madrigal uh, up probably for the majority of next season, uh, there's a guy who uh, just worked with both those guys in Charlotte. Do you think they're looking at it not just from a let's get on base more, but like listening to Rick Hahn? I think he was perhaps even worried there might be some regression, you know, Tim Anderson, and, and, and expecting it. Like, like, look, he's probably not going to win the batting title again and hit 335. But perhaps, like, look, this, this will be a way to sort of round out even the solid years that we got, or great years that we got from, from Tim and, and from. I, I mean, I think Eloy had a great year for a rookie coming in hitting 30-plus bombs. That was super impressive, uh, which is not getting talked about a ton. Like It was just like a, a given that he was going to come up here and hit 30 homers. So, <laughs> so I, I think they're, they're also trying to manage that part of it as well. 
Yeah, well, I think one thing that Rick says all the time is he says, you know, these young players, they're not finished products. And usually that's in a response to when guys are going through growing pains, right? We, we asked him about it and Ricky about it as well uh, all during the year with Aloy Jimenez, who, like you said, had a great season from a power standpoint. But obviously some of the numbers are not where he wants them to be uh, by the time things are all said and done. And I think even though you had breakout seasons for guys like Anderson and Moncada, I think that even though those are positive things, I think that can still apply. You know, these guys aren't finished products. They still do need to keep growing. You, If, you, if you're into the BABIP kind of uh, situation, both Anderson and Moncada's were through the roof this year. So if that's uh, kind of something that you use as an indicator that things could go down from a uh, results standpoint next year, from strictly a numbers standpoint, then, yeah, maybe they want uh, you know to keep that development going, keep these guys going in a positive direction, not just settle for this being kind of uh, the final stage and but try and get to those high ceilings that uh, we've been hearing about with all these guys for a long time now. Vinny Duber, NBC Sports, Chicago, covering the White Sox with us here on White Sox Weekly on 720 WGN. My name is Mark Harmon. What's coming next, Vinny? What's your, what do you think the next move that we will see from the Chicago White Sox in offseason 2020? Yeah, if we're strictly talking about, you know, uh, you know, chronological order here, I think you've got to look at kind of uh, some of the non-tender decisions that they need to make. Earlier this week, we saw some of those arbitration projections, and that could kind of, uh, you know, play into what they're doing this offseason. I, I don't think I'm of the camp that would say that I don't think the $10 million that's projected for Alex Colomay is going to be enough to, you know, make them take him off the roster. They kind of committed to him, not only when they traded Omar Narvaez for him last offseason, but when they did not trade Alex Colomay at the trade deadline this year, which they did with their closers in each of the last two seasons. So I think that they knew, you know, what they were getting into for financial when they went out and got Colome and uh, for some of the uh, folks out there who weren't happy with what he did in the second half certainly his performance was not as good as it was in the first half uh, you know this is a guy who's been a dependable back of the bullpen guy for a while uh, on the other hand I think Yomer Sanchez uh, they've got a decision to make with him uh, whether that that um, that much money is going to be enough for a guy who's probably going to be reserved to a bench role uh, once, especially once Nick Madrigal comes up uh, sometime next season. So that might be a little too expensive to keep Yomer Sanchez on the team, which is crazy considering he might win a gold glove here in a little bit. So Yomer, correct me if I'm wrong on the numbers there, he's, he's scheduled to make or projected to make a little bit over $6 million, correct? That's what the MLB Trade Rumors projection was, yeah. Six million bucks for a guy who's going to play, let's call it, I don't know, half the season all around the diamond. That's not exactly expensive by today's baseball standards, is it? True enough, but I think you got to look at the offensive piece, too. And I mean, obviously, Yomer Sanchez is great defensively. He can play uh, three different infield positions, but you've got a White Sox team that is going to, that is looking to make a lot of moves this winter. There's a lot of items on the to-do list. Going to need every one of those dollars to uh, go ahead and fill some of these holes that Rick Hahn talked about at his end-of-season press conference. Uh, and so, you know, everything adds up. Uh, Yomer Sanchez, great defensively, but a guy who is really not getting it done offensively um, especially even by his own standards from what he did the year before and the year before that. So uh, with the offense going down, uh, other cheaper options available to play those same positions in reserve roles, maybe a guy like Danny Mendick or, or even Larry Garcia, who can also play all three outfield positions, uh, it just kind of seems like Yomer might get squeezed out. Obviously, the White Sox could have a different opinion. They certainly love him. They love him in the clubhouse. They love what he does in, uh, in the field. So uh, they have a decision to make, and uh, we'll see what that is. Okay, Vinny, um, 
Let's make it personal right now. I love Yolmer Sanchez. I uh, I am a believer in Yolmer Sanchez. Yolmer Sanchez. Let's if you look at his numbers, he had two sixty seven in twenty seventeen with an on base of three nineteen. He had a WAR of three and a half, which is decent. Uh, then he trend, trended down a little bit, 242. He hit 252 this year, Vinny. Come on, man. That's not uh, that's not terrible, is it? 125 hits on the year? Why can't we have Yomer? Yomer's a leader, man. He's 27 years old. He loves being here. He's a White Sox through and through. That's my best pitch I there got. Is, there is no doubt about that, and there is no doubt that he is a very great clubhouse presence. That being said, when you're looking to construct a roster that could be contending as soon as next year, uh, you're looking at a guy in Nick Madrigal who is going to hit, for, you know, the White Sox hope, is going to hit a lot better than that and play what they've been billing as gold-glove caliber defense from the day they drafted him. So if he can do both hit and defend, you know, Yomer's, uh, Yomer's usefulness is, is perhaps not quite as high if there's no hole he can plug there uh, on the field. You think he's on a big league roster next year? Uh, yeah, I think he's on a big league roster next year. Like I said, he might have a gold glove here in a couple of weeks, so uh, I think that'd be attractive to a lot of teams. Okay, fair enough. As long as Yolmer's in the big leagues, I guess at the end of the day, I'm all right. <laughs> if it makes the sense for the White Sox to to move forward, I, I, I don't like, I don't like to get emotional on these things, but you know, I got a little Ricky Renteria in me here, which he did he did mention. Uh, Vinny Duber from NBC Sports Chicago with us here on White Sox Weekly. He mentioned it was hard for him to move on from Todd Stevenson. Like he had to take emotion out of it. So I, I don't think it, it clearly wasn't a personal thing between those two. That's fair, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. I, I, I think that they just see uh, Frank Manichino as, as doing a better job for the position they're in at the moment. They're trying to uh, you know get into that next stage of the rebuild, as they keep saying, and perhaps that moves along from you know introducing guys to the big leagues and, and trying to get them to reach their full potential. I don't know where that sounder just came from, but I just did something wrong <laughs> over here. But we apologize uh, from all of us at WGN on that one. All right, so, okay, we get through the tender period. Now we get into free agency. Go ahead and make a prediction, Vinny. Who who will be the first Chicago White Sox signed? Uh, well, I'm, I'm gonna g- I'll give you an easy one first and say Jose Abreu uh, because I think that uh, I- I've been saying it on our on our White Sox Talk podcast for the last few weeks here that I think it's just about 100 percent that he's back in a White Sox uniform for next year. So uh, I mean, obviously, Rick Hahn laid out the possibility that that could go on and still have the same result. You know, go on for a certain amount of time and still have the same result with him back on the team. But I'll take the easy way out and say it'll be Abreu as the first one back. Okay, number two. Number two, uh, I think I, I think uh, that if you see J.D. Martinez opt out of his deal with the Red Sox, I think that makes a lot of sense for the White Sox uh, to fill that hole at DH with a very reliable bat, one of the most productive bats in the big leagues here over the last few seasons. That would be kind of that middle-of-the-order splash that they've been looking to make, that they were looking to make last winter with Manny Machado. This time around, uh, they can do it perhaps with J.D. Martinez. I don't know what order they'll all fall in, but I think that that's a guy that White Sox fans should circle uh, because he's a, it's just a very good possibility, a very good fit, I think. Uh, we had a guy from Boston uh, talking to us a little bit earlier this week, uh, and he had nothing but great things to say about the kind of clubhouse guy that J.D. Martinez is, which uh, definitely should be attractive to the White Sox as well. So what that's type, what I'll go with. What type of dough you think you're looking at for J.D. Martinez? Well, let's see. I think he's got about... I think if he's opting out, it's it's what it's roughly three and sixty or something. I could be I could be totally wrong on that one, but I think uh, I think people have been throwing around an estimate uh, an estimate of about four years, a hundred million, and you know that's a lot. But uh, this is a guy who's been extremely productive, hits a ton of home runs, 
uh, and just won a World Series last year, you know, with the Red Sox not playing this October. It's easy to forget how fantastic they were just a year ago, and he was a big part of that. Yeah, there's look, they, he's he's got a phenomenal reputation. Martinez, uh, let's uh, I'm, I'll go through the numbers here real fast, but uh, we I'll, I guess I'll have that before we get to the end of the show or truly break it down because you're you're high that the White Sox will be there. You didn't mention Garrett Cole here, Vinny. You don't think that's happening, do you? I, I certainly think that they will have interest in Garrett Cole. I think Garrett Cole is going to get a ton, a ton of money. We might, I mean, he's every time, every time he steps on the mound here in these playoffs, he's, he's jacking that number up, it seems. Uh, so, uh, you know, I think the biggest spending teams are going to be in there. The White Sox have the financial flexibility to be one of those biggest spending teams. But, uh, you know, if you look at their history, they're perhaps more inclined to give that money to a hitter than a pitcher. You know, Rick Hahn wants to break all of those uh, preconceived notions, but uh, but we'll see. I, I think Garrett Cole is going to be extremely popular this winter, and uh, don't forget, to he uh, went to high school about a 10-minute drive from Angel Stadium. Yeah, that could be a factor, too. Uh, all right, and by the way, J.D.'s 32 years old. He's got a, he's walking away from three years and $62.5 million. You're right, you're, you're right there on the numbers. Uh, and maybe maybe Garrett wants to go play for Joe Madden out out in uh, uh, with the Angels. All right, uh, last one here for you, Vinny. In your mind, for the White Sox to get to the level that they want to get to in 2020, what's your if if you're making a list? Number one priority, number two priority, and on, on what they need this off season. Yeah, I think the number one priority has got to be a starting pitcher. Uh, I think everybody, that's pretty obvious to everybody who watched them play last year. I'm probably a little bit higher on the fact that, you know, you're going to have a lot of these internal guys kind of come back and, and be reliable in that rotation, be it Dylan Cease figuring things out now that he's had a little more time in the majors, be it Michael Kopech now that he's healthy. I'm not sure about Ronaldo Lopez just because what we saw from him, lack of consistency over the course of the season. Um, but add Lucas Giolito to that list, and you're going to have at least three guys there who are who are going to stick in that rotation all year long. But I do think you need another top-of-the-rotation guy to really kind of uh, push him over the edge. I, I look at a guy who's going to be out there this winter, Madison Bumgarner, uh, as a guy who could kind of be the White Sox John Lester, so to speak, a guy with not only a great track record, a great resume, but who really knows how to win in October uh, and can kind of help this group of young guys kind of uh, kind of lead them in that in that way. So um, I think a guy like that would be at the top of my list. Is that going to be what happens? We uh, we have to wait and see. But obviously the White Sox are going to be looking at a DH, as I mentioned, and they're going to be looking for a new right fielder, too. So I think the big thing to look, remember is, are they going to be able to make any trades because of what happened uh, in the farm system this year? A lot of injuries, a lot of guys uh, performing under what they did the year before. Is there going to be a package able to be created to land one of these impact names, or are the White Sox going to just have to simply go out on the free agent market and spend? I'm more inclined to think that the latter is more real realistic but we shall see Vinny, great stuff good to be with you today man i appreciate you taking time and of course check out the white Sox talk podcast you and chuck and ryan mcguffey and whoever else makes an appearance on there chris comka y'all do a phenomenal job man so th- thanks for the time today thanks a lot appreciate it Vinny duber nbc sports chicago Sox games are better with a group it's never too early to lock in your 2020 group package from a diamond suite to a pregame patio party. We've got the perfect space for your occasion. For more information, visit WhiteSox.com or call 312-674-1000. And our conversation with Vinny, sponsored by Mazda of Orland Park and ZoomZoomNation.com, where they're always trying to make your car shop.
not being fun. Get here from the manager, Ricky Renteria, coming on back here. It's White Sox Weekly on 720 WGN. White Sox Weekly till the top of the hour. Then I'm sticking around till 5.30. I got so much on my mind that I want to talk about in that half hour. I'm not sure what I'm going to do, to be honest. But uh, I am going to mention the marathon this weekend, which I'm not running in, but I want to do at some point in my life. Let me get to Ricky Renteria in a second here. But a reminder, the White Sox pop-up shop is coming back to Orland Square this offseason. You can visit the White Sox store at Orland Square Mall October 15th through January 15th, conveniently located across from the Apple Store. Fans can shop stadium exclusives and special promotions throughout the holidays. For more information, follow at White Sox Store on Instagram. So Rick Renteria was a part of this conversation this week with the new hitting coach Frank Manichino. Let's ask Rick how this move, in his mind, is going to help the ball club. Maybe it expands the underlying value of some of the things that we need to do uh, in, in terms of you know getting on base more. Uh, and that simply means probably that guys are more uh, going to be more apt to be aggressive with their pitches, staying in their lanes, trying to do a little bit uh, in terms of just being more disciplined. Uh, I think it, it keeps the line moving and allows guys to continue to improve upon their approaches. Um, I think the way he connects to guys, um, as we've seen with you know a lot of the things we've talked about, seems to be a, a place that we need to go to. And, you know, that coupled with, you know, hopefully some additions uh, to continue to improve us uh, overall and give us an opportunity to be on the other side of, the, of, uh, of winning and losing. I mean, I, I'm not going to make any bones about it. We, it's time to turn the page. It's time to get us to a different level of uh, performance. And But that, that goes across the board. It goes on all aspects of our game. So that's the zillionth time, literally the zillionth time that Ricky has mentioned. We are not messing around in 2020, at least as far as the expectations are concerned. We are raising the bar. We had a great year in some aspects last year. Tim Anderson, Jose Abreu, I don't need to run through it all again with you, James McCann, Lucas Giolito, etc. But they didn't win enough games, 72 of them, which was a 10-game improvement. You improve by 10 games next year, you're at least in the mix for a wild card at 82 and 80. And hopefully it'll be a lot more than that. What he also named there is that, that on-base thing. And I said the White Sox were 23rd in on-base out of 30 teams. They were 30th out of 30 in walks. 378 walks, which is actually a distant last behind the Tigers at 391. So, tops in baseball getting on via the base on balls, that would be the Houston Astros, who I would say right now, well, if they're not the favorite, they're a coin flip to win the World Series. 645 times they walked. Milwaukee was a playoff team, 629 walks. Atlanta was a playoff team, 619 walks. The Dodgers were a playoff team, 607 walks. So the top four teams in the league in walks were all in the playoffs. The White Sox know that they need to get better there, and that's part of the reason that Frank Manichino is now the new hitting coach. Uh, how does Ricky see Manichino raising the level of everybody else? I think everybody believed um, that he could probably, you know, not that Todd did a, a, a terrible job, but that Frank could get us to a different level. Um, obviously, his communication skills um, and the way he you know, connected with players was a big a big thing that, uh, you know, everybody impressed upon me when the conversations that we had and then 
you know, when he was here for the last few weeks of the season, you can see how he was connecting with players and things of that nature. So I, I, I was able to see that firsthand. Um, but, you know, a lot of the uh, information uh, that was uh, being presented in terms of how things were developing and evolving uh, on the minor league side with these guys was, you know, seemed very impressive. And you can see some of the, you know, uh, improvements that were occurring. And so uh, I thought it was just uh, as we all sat down, um, we put a put our heads together and, and, you know, listen to all the commentary of everything that was going on and just felt that, uh, you know, Frankie seemed like the guy that uh, would be able to get us to another phase of, of development with our players. Another phase of development. That word connecting, how does he connect? You make it a connection. Does everybody have a connection? Are you hearing me? Are you listening to me? Do we? Are we meeting eye to eye? That word, I just feel like I hear it more nowadays. How is he connecting with the players? All right, last one from Ricky, real fast, was moving on from Todd Steverson hard. One of the things that I believe that um, is really important are relationships. And it, I'd be lying to you if I said that moving on wasn't a difficult thing to do. You try to take emotion out of it. You try to make sure that you're seeing all things uh, that will benefit the organization to the best of its ability. At this particular point, my heart uh, is was still with those guys. Um, but I, if I, I take the emotion out of it, I try to look at it logically and, and see uh, how we can possibly improve and the expectations and the possibilities that we continue to do what we need to do in order to get better. Um, that came. That obviously has to play a, a bigger part because this is beyond us personally. This is about the organization, and it will be that way beyond me and beyond any other coach that's here. It's always going to be about making sure that the organization is putting uh, its best put forward to give both the ownership and the fans and everyone that's coming out to support us uh, the best chance to have the success that we want. It's one of the challenges of being the boss, right? I love you, man. You're a good friend of mine. You've been here for a long time, but i got to do what's best for the club. I'm sorry, but we're no longer going to work together. It's not an easy conversation to have. Uh, so that'll wrap up White Sox Weekly News is coming up, and then I'll be with you till 5.30. A reminder, upgrade your game day in 2020 with premium seating. Enjoy an all-inclusive experience with packages that start at just 20 games. Cheer on your socks from the best seats in the house. For more information, visit WhiteSox.com or call 312-674-1000. Check the news coming right up.